Welcome to Coffee and Geography, where my guests and I geek out about the world and everything on it, discovering that we are all geographers in some way, shape or form. I'm your host, Kit, and my pronouns are they, them or she, her. So settle down with a brew, hit that subscribe or follow button and enjoy the listen. Hello everybody and welcome back to Coffee and Geography. First, uh, a little short apology is that obviously you may have missed us um, last week. We missed you too. Um, There was no episode last week um, in respect to uh, a planned guest um, who was um, directly impacted by the the Turkey-Syria earthquake and um, you know, and obviously, of course, with respect to that individual who 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 needs a break and needs some time, uh, you know, it was like absolutely one hundred percent. So my thoughts go out to that person and everybody uh, in her family, her friends, and everybody who's been affected by that that terrifying um, earthquakes in Turkey and northern Syria. And we really hope that uh, the recovery is going as best as possible can. You get all the help that you need. So uh, that was the reason for our absence. Um, uh, but we press on as geographers, we always do, um, because I am delighted to be joined by someone I've only met only once, but she lit up my 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 room and my monitor, and we had such an amazing chat, and uh, they're here with me now. Uh, Hermione, how are you? Hi. Hi, Kit. I just want to say the same, that uh, the first time I met you at Zoom, I'm like, what? A Zoom book? I'm so exciting. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, wow, wow. I think that we is... instantly clicked with a lot of things and I'm really happy that I'm back with you in this podcast. Yeah, so, um, wow, that's quite a compliment, like made the Zoom, yeah, interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah. before okay. like Zoom call, okay, it's going to be a bit awkward and then it didn't, it went on really yeah. well. Yeah. Now, Hermione, I'm going, I, I did not ask, I forgot to ask you this before I press recorded, so I'm going to own this and ask you for the record, how do I pronounce your last name? My, pro- <laughs> my last name. My last name is Meow. Meow. Okay. So it there sounds you go, like folks. a cat, I know. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I usually ask these things before I press record, but, you know, mm-hmm. I learn. I, I like to be in the learning zone, in the growth zone. So there you go, folks. You hear me double-checking that I'm pronouncing somebody's name right. So um, here we go then. Hermione Meow chose her name as Hermione Granger means so much to them. They like her courage to stepping into a new world that her parents have never been into. And Hermione knew this character is their favourite when she advocates for the house elves' welfare, while everyone else takes for granted of the house elf service. And that is Hermione now. She's born in uh, rural China, a first-generation college student, and now doing a PhD in geography education in Bonnie, Scotland. <laughs> there we are. There's our introduction. Yeah. Yeah, I think I also need to explain like why I didn't go with my Chinese first name. I wonder Mm. like here how people choose their first name. It's not you choose it, right? It's someone choosing it for you. And it's usually your parents, I guess. Mm -hmm. They may choose you, uh, they may choose your name after their parents or someone they inspired them. But in China, especially in rural China, the the name when you get chosen, it's it was probably by a fortune teller. Or if it's a big mm. family, it will be with the like different generations of the family. They have desi- already decided in this generation, in your first name, you need to have this character. But in my case, it was by the fortune teller. And when I was born, my paternal side, my grandfather, they, they asked the fortune teller and they said, I like gold in my life. So they choose a cat Chinese character, which have three gold in this. That became my name. I like and my mom didn't even have a say with it. 
So, I mean, the name itself is quite superstitious, uh, but, uh, but it had, that has a good meaning that they want me to have gold in my life, which is not the money gold, it's a, a traditional Chinese element gold, which kind of like help you keep in harmony with the world, things like that. But it just, I didn't like the way that when my mom gave birth to me, my mom and my mother's side, they all raised me up. But they didn't give a say, had a say when they, when my first name was chosen. And uh, so one night, I started, my mom bought me the Harry Potter book and I started reading it. I really got into this world. I re- when I was a kid, I really like, imagined all these things. And oh. I saw this character because I started this before I learned English. So I read the, Chinese version, which I saw the Hermione has a curly hair, but at that time I didn't know what kind of curly hair is. But people tell I have curly hair. I'm like, okay, that's good. <laughs> and then it kept going on. She has a bit of annoying character, but I really liked her courage and her care for for the friends. So like, yeah. And when the moment came, when I see that she noticed something that no one else in the magical world noticed, I think that's my character. And I'm going to choose my own name. That's a lovely story. Wow, that's yeah. so fascinating. Um, so is is that the main reason? So when you have, because we have, you know, we have plenty of Chinese folk who come over to Western countries to, yeah. to study and everything like that. You know, like the University of Stanley in Norwich, we, mm. you know, we have whole we have whole departments. We have Chinese students. Uh, yeah. I lodged with a chi- with a, a Chinese friend, um, and he took the he decided on the Western name Roy. Um, mm-hmm. I, I very much doubt you're listening, Roy. I haven't spoken to you for years, <laughs> but if you're listening, hi, Roy. Hope you're doing well. Um, and yeah, so is that the main reason why Chinese students particularly like take the opportunity to say, right, this is an opportunity for me to take a name, or or is there other? Could there be other reasons why you have quite a few Chinese people who go by Western names? Okay, so I actually had a good answer to this because last year I was at education conference. There was someone put a poster on this about why Chinese people come to the English speaking world and they pick up a new name. I saw their poster. They said uh, four reasons. I can recall three. So one of the reasons is they actually have an English name when they were growing up. So when they started to learn English, their English teacher picked English name for them. In the now the kids in the urban areas, they may start to learn English really early on, even before they go to kindergarten. So they had the English name when they were growing up. Wow. Because so many uh, urban middle class want to have their kids in a bilingual environment. Okay. So they started growing very young having this. Like I can recall some, when I was watching some Chinese TV show, some the kind of like child actors or these Oh, these kind of like TV show, you know, these, what do you, what do you call celebrity? They hey. have their kids in English name and they refer to their kids in English name. And then there is the, the other case here that they find their Chinese name really difficult to pronounce. Okay. Really difficult to pronounce for the, for people who don't speak Chinese. And so they found some, some term related to it. And then they use, so they use this name. And there is a third one is when their parents choose the name, the, chi- the Chinese name and the English name, they actually mean the same thing. Okay. So like, um, for example, if we say Anna, Anna, A-N-N-A, it can be Chinese character in, in China, and, but it's also an English name. So it's actually the same. 
And there is also the fourth one, like they just want to pick up a name and give them a new way to choose the name they go by, like what I do. Right. So, folks, I said I said to Hermione before we started calling, I said this has been a question that I've always wanted to ask someone, but I was too scared to ask, like forever. Um, so that's it. That is something off my, you know, learning about the world bucket list ticked off. So thank you so much, Hermione. So, um, Hermione, um, one thing that both our cultures are very, very uh, famous for, of course, is our, our drinking of something that's been brewed. Yes. So what, what are you drinking today as we talk? Actually, I'm drinking something related with Chinese culture, but also a bit related with England. Have you seen these rose petals I have? Ooh, rose petals. Okay, right. Yeah. So this is what yep. we drink in China. Like, but I got this from a Chinese supermarket here. And there is another thing. I don't think you may have seen it, but if you watch Korean things, they, they show it too. Like, they call it jujubai. jujubai. In Chinese, we call it hongzao. It's, it so looks... it's kind of like a dried dried date fruit. Oh, that's about to say. It looks like a date or a prune. Yeah, it looks like a date, but it tastes very different from Arabic date. So it's okay. more crispy. One is a fruit, but one is um, dried. It's much sweeter. And um, then you put it, both of them in boiling water and then you just have it. For me, uh, the many Chinese people, if you have Chinese um, listener, they probably be like, yeah, of course, we drink warm water. So we always have a flask around, which has the boiling water in this and the tea, like with the, the herbal tea you see, I put it in. For me, I never drink caffeine drinks in the afternoon because I won't be able to sleep at night. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, in the afternoon, I always drink this kind of a bit more herbal or fruity tea. That, yeah, and in fact, I'm starting to do more and more of that. So unfortunately, a couple of weeks ago, there was a bit of a, a, bit of a tummy bug going around the house. So mm. my youngest brought this tummy bug home from school and then it kind of went around the house. And um, when I knew... You know that that ginger was a very good thing to deal with nausea. So yeah. rather than getting something from the shop, rather than mm. you know getting some ginger sugary drink or something like that, yeah, um, we actually had some ginger root here at home. So I just grated the ginger mm -hmm. root, um, you know, boiled the kettle, um, did all, you know did all that kind of stuff. I've got we've got a tea strainer and everything like that, yeah. and I just basically had hot ginger water, and yeah, obviously I was still sick, but. I wasn't getting the stomach cramps anymore, you know, That's and nice. nausea. And it was just like, actually, this is, I should be doing this more often. Just mm -hmm. it's so simple, just grated ginger, hot water. It was quite nice. Yeah. yeah. This is actually the kind of like the traditional drink my grandma would give me when I have a cold in the winter. So this is related with the Chinese herbal medicine. Uh, they We will put ginger, so we grind it too, or we just chop it into fine and put it in boiling water and when mm -hmm. it cool down a bit to a warm temperature, then you can drink it. I personally, actually, I don't like ginger in oh. my food, <laughs> but yeah. I understand when it's a, a medicine, I would have it. And it's really, it comes very instantly. You can have a lot of sweat and then go to, go to bed. And tomorrow, mm. it'll be okay. But that only works in the winter or when it's cold because that won't cure when you get too hot. That's probably yeah. too much. Yeah. Yeah. But I've I've always I've always loved ginger, you know, beverages. So ginger tea. I when you know, I've when I sometimes when I go out for a meal I like, you know, ginger, you know, I like ginger Drink. beer and yeah, mm -hmm. so um I am a bit of a fan of ginger and but yeah, it was it was I was 
even me who's used to that kind of stuff, I was quite pleasantly surprised how quickly that worked. I was like, okay, I'm maybe can now actually stand up. <laughs> what are you, what are you drinking now? What am I drinking now? Well, I've just finished. Um, I'm, I haven't don't have anything with me right now apart from some water, mm-hmm. but uh, we've just been out with the family, and I just had a mocha milkshake Ooh. at a local cafe. Really so while nice. the kids went and played on on the swings, so uh, nice. yeah, um, yeah. I've I, after after uh, yeah, I try not to keep drinking the same thing over and over again. But usually, usually yeah. it's your, t- your typical tea. But um, but I, I do like to ex- experiment and explore a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I think it's just so you need to get exposed to different tea and different yeah. things. Then you're like, oh, actually, I could get a chance. And for me, I quickly get bored at repeating doing the same thing. So almost right. never repeat your drink <laughs> in a week. Right. Always try to innovate or try to combine different things together. Yeah. And yeah. Well, Maybe next week I should bring you some new tea to try. That's right, folks. Yes. Yeah. Actually, it's funny you mentioned that, Hermione, because um, next week there will be, uh, well, there's plans to be a coffee and geography episode next week, folks. But um, what, if you remember what I did last year, is that I did a, uh, an on-location recording of the Geographical Association Conference in 2022. I won't be doing that this year because, not because I didn't enjoy it, I really enjoyed it, but I just want to focus more on actually being at the conference rather than, but um, so next week you'll hear a, a quote-unquote normal episode of Coffee and Geography, while Hermione and I and many others will be uh, at in Sheffield at the Geographic Association Conference 2023. And I can't wait to meet you. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I think if for your listeners, even they even they don't register for the conference, they just, the first day I think they have a public lecture, if people are Good interested. Point. It's called Hope for Environmentalism, I think, That's on right. Wednesday. So if people just want to take a quick look, that could be a goal. Yeah. I tell you what, Hermione, you're you're actually onto something here because um, because what I'm planning to do, we're actually recording this on the day that I'm intending to release this. So it's actually Friday mm-hmm. the seventh of uh, April, and I'm hoping that this will go out tomorrow morning for you, and hopefully that you're all listening on the morning of the eighth. Um, and yeah, so actually, so while we're on the topic, let's just bring up the program. So have you had a look at? Have you managed to yeah. have a look at the program? Is there anything that's really caught your eye that you're really looking forward to next week? I haven't looked all of this, but I have checked the first day. I really interested in the forest walk. Okay, I want yeah. to go. They have a forest field trip. That's something I really want to go. And of course, I'm, I want to go to your critical sessions and with all this, I want to have a focus with uh, this time if I'm going to with the decolonizing the curriculum and yep. uh, with the feminist perspective. These are the, the ones I want to go. And because I'm at the end of my PhD, I'm also actually busy doing write-up. So I won't attend all the sessions, right, yeah. but I do want to go to a few that kind of like it caught my eye but for now I have only looked at the first day yeah so what we've got on the first day folks so Thursday and, and as Hermione correctly said you know quite you know some of these will be available for you if you're not not a geographic association member or you're not going to the conference you still will be able to access this so for example on the first day you've got the um, the introduction talk um, from the president the current GA president Alistair Owens uh, at 12 o'clock and that will be uh, broadcast live through the GA's YouTube channel, uh, so you can have a look at that. And then, as you said, you're you're going to be going on that field work, the forest field work, using local woodlands yeah. for geographical inquiries. Yeah. So that's uh, two till three, uh, and then we've got um, like lots of networking and meetups. Uh, it's going to be really, really good. Uh, the other thing that will also be live and public 
will be the uh, on the Friday morning at nine will be the I think the public no, I think when's the usually the presidential lecture that's not at nine o'clock but usually that's uh-huh. public and ready to go I forgot yeah. what time that is our oh, presidential at 10 past 10 mm-hmm. and the other thing that's also broadcast publicly and live is the teach me in the mm. evening uh, at six o'clock on Friday folks so um, I'll do my very very best to get all of this in the show notes for you if, if you're worried about trying to search for it or I'll try my best to get it in there but at the very least I'll put in the show notes the link yes. to the Geographical Association Conference website so you can um, even if you're not going you're not signed up you can still benefit from those um, and yeah and in regards to the decolonizing geography stuff uh, once mm. again what we've done folks the decolonizing geography group is that we've looked at the program we've looked at sessions that the group as a whole with all our intersectional identities feel you know are probably the most progressive in terms of decolonizing geography and decolonizing the curriculum and that should be on the GA website that thing to download um, along with a log that you can keep about all your learnings so you could for your learning and your growth and we'll also stick it on the decolonizing geography website which is decolonizedgeography.com yeah I wasn't expecting to do a little promo but there we go (laughs) that was your um your initiative there, Hermione. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Right. I want to now talk about how you ended up in Scotland. So you're yeah. in Stirling. Yes. Yeah. So tell us. So I've 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 only been to the southern part of Scotland. I've not had the privilege yet of going much further north than Edinburgh. Um, so uh, tell us a little bit about Stirling, and um, perhaps then maybe go on to kind of how how it compares with uh, mm-hmm. where you grew up in China, because I love to yeah. always ask that. It sounds, it seems on paper, on a map, that these two places couldn't be more different. <laughs> but I'm wondering <laughs> if you've ever come across anything that's very similar between where you're from and Sterling. Yeah, there are. Uh, it's quite interesting. So uh, for me, I used to live in London for nearly four years before I came up to Sterling. And Stirling, if you if you can imagine a map when you are listening to this, you know where Edinburgh is, you know the other side would be Glasgow, and if you bridge up a triangle, Stirling is the up triangle of this. And that's why we always call Stirling is the heart of Scotland, and that's where the highlands start to start from Stirling. And uh, Stirling is a quite a small city compared to the other two, I think. How many people do you have? I couldn't remember much, but it's a very small city. I was so surprised. But so when I say what is similar to my area, is actually it's they're both very kind of have this really nice nature environment and have a little bit hilly, like my area back in China. Yes, if anyone knows about the Lake Tai near the Jiangsu province next to Shanghai. That's where okay. we have a, a third biggest freshwater lake in China. So we're around that, and we're a bit hilly next to it. We're to the south, to the south side of the to the south side of the lake. And that reminds me of when I come to Sterling, when I see with the water, with the with the with the hills. That reminds me of my hometown. And also, my auntie used to joke about me uh, that I moved from like a capital like in china we say capital is beijing here is the people say in london and now you moved back to your grandma's house which is like far, far away <laughs> i love that I, uh, I, hurt, that hurts me but uh, it's it means how far it is like from yeah. my it's a it's not a very close to the capital but 
To a certain note, I actually really enjoyed here. Before I came to Sterling, I think there are so many great views that I thought they were only in the imaginary lines. But if you come to Sterling, they're actually real life. And wow. we have the really beautiful monument, and the, there was a few. We have a really good night, and then you see the moon rise over the monument, and then you see the big moon. I'm like, what? That's wow. real? Wow. It's real in Sterling. And we're surrounded by these highlands. You see these kind of like、uh, peaks around, like wow, and with all these beautiful colors. So I really like the nature here, and also the university here is very different from the previous university I had in London. And it's we're surrounded by lochs, the in Noah's lakes and the、uh, castles. So it's really beautiful area to visit. And、um, now you got a reason to visit us. <laughs> I, I, yes, yeah, I know. I've got.、Um, in fact, I need to do a bit of a, a bit of a, a Scotland tour, really, because I've had、um, an invite from um, um, Akiko Tomitaka, who's also in Scotland,、mm-hmm. not too, not too far away from from yourself,、mm-hmm. and she's like, you, you, you've got to come visit me, and I, we're going to do some yoga on her balcony. Mm-hmm. That, that was that was a promise I made, and then <laughs>、um, yeah, and then I could、uh, come up to Stirling and then go and see my friend.、Uh, My best friends Clive and Lee and their kids in in Pennycook, just outside of it. Yeah, I should I got, I got to get this done. I got to get this done. I got to get this done. And、There's、I、no、think、excuse. it's it, it's just really beautiful. I think in Scotland around this,、mm. either you come in summer or in autumn. Summer might be a bit too busy, and、uh, yeah, midgets around. So I don't know if midgets or midgets. So these kind of small <laughs> bugs、yeah. in the Highlands, which is not a pleasant kind of travel company. So. Probably autumn. Autumn has the most magical color, that I would say. Okay, so question one. So this is so funny because I was I was round a friend's house yesterday who's who went to a、um, like a she described it as a hippie music festival、mm-hmm. in someone's farmland, like in in the in the Highlands in Scotland, right?、Wow. And she said、uh, basically it was someone who owned this land and was like just had like have a have fun stuff like that, and she said that. The midges were so. There were so many midges. They were so bad. It was like a, like a black mist, a fog. Like, could it get that bad? No. It just well, whenever they went there, it must be in summer, right?、Because、yeah, middle middle of summer. It, yeah, they, they're not here here yet.、Yeah. And in middle summer, it was really bad because at that time I had a friend. I think I told you before. I have a friend visiting me, and、uh, she we went for we went for a hike to one of the ben. We went for Ben Lomond. And there was a time that she went up, and midges all cover her. And when she come back with all these red dots, so it was terrible. But there is a way to avoid the midges coming close to you, thanks to technology and science. You have this spray. If you spray it around, it won't come close to you. So these are these kind of like chemical ways to. So if anyone want to travel to Scotland in summer, definitely get the midges spray. <laughs> yeah, don't don't, don't want to go back with a lot of dots. Kind of red dot, and it yeah, doesn't sound fun. Yeah, and often, so I do have some kind of experience of this. Bearing in mind that my my wife and her family are from Minnesota, and you know,、mm-hmm. and they and they jokingly say in Minnesota that the mosquito is the national state bird. You know, <laughs> so、uh, we know it's not. Oh bird, no, but, but but you know, but that's that's the joke they make, and、um, and yeah, and and also it, it depends on the kind of blood type that you have, apparently. 
It's like some people can walk through like a cloud of midges or a cloud of mosquitoes mm -hmm. and they won't get touched. And that some other person will go through a cloud of midges or mosquitoes and they will get bitten, let fright and sent up uh -huh. because apparently their blood is just yummy, yummy, yummy. So <laughs> apparently it's true. I, I, I don't know the, the full chemical details of it or why that's yeah. the case, but that's what I've heard. And, it, and I do know that yeah. some people get bitten more than others. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. So <laughs> I, I didn't know much about these biological things, but yeah. uh, for mis mosquitoes, like where I was growing up, because it's a rural area and it's a bit south, we're south to the Yangtze River, so we did get a lot of mosquitoes in summer. And my mm. grandma, like I mentioned, my maternal side, my grandma, they have a small kind of like it's it's not a river, but a small kind of like channel, a, a little bit of water flowing next to their house. That's where mosquitoes grow in the summer. Yeah. Hi folks, a chance for you to recharge your brew, but also a polite prod to remind you that it's so easy to support this podcast. Simply liking, sharing, rating and reviewing means that it will get on more people's radar. Also, there are a few links down in the description which may be of mutual benefit. Please do check them out. I was thinking back actually to a conversation I had back in season one with... Um, with Candice Lloyd, who's uh, a member of the Matee community in Canada. Mm. And uh, she was saying that, you know, of, uh, from Indigenous knowledge that had been passed down, that, that uh, it's funny that we were talking about, like, brewing and tea and midges and mosquitoes. Yeah. She said that uh, one of the ways that, you know, that she, she, what things that she does to keep mosquitoes away and that her ancestors used to do mm -hmm. was to uh, take a sack, have, mm. you know, certain kinds of waste in there and, you know, animal waste and whatnot and then it becomes almost like a tea bag mm -hmm. and then you put that in um like a barrel of rainwater mm. so it, it brews quote unquote brews and not only does it become a mild fertilizer for for the plants that you're growing but it also is a mosquito repellent oh. so she says that that the mosquitoes hate that stuff and they I don't see. go near you. So she says, you don't, I'm guessing, I didn't ask her, but I'm there guessing must be you don't some, slaver it over yourself. With the plant. Yeah, yeah. But yeah but what we, you we do have this yeah. similar kind of thing, but I don't know the name in English also. They, they, there are these kind of plants that if you put around, there won't be so many mosquitoes coming mm. to your house. And there are these kind of like things juice you put around and yeah. like not not fruit juice but these kind of like herbal things that you put on and the mosquitoes won't get closer to you because yeah. they hate this smell yeah yeah well there you go folks there is there is you know and this is why i i you know we were talking about herbal teas and chinese medicine and stuff like that you know you don't be quick to dismiss this of course you're going to have nefarious people who want to try and make money from this which where there is no backing but there are plenty of plenty of stuff indigenous medicines herbal medicines chinese medicines which you know through through history and indigenous knowledge they work for a reason because that's when we used to work with nature you know to survive in nature so um and of course we've just become so disconnected with nature we we if, if it doesn't come in a spray bottle or a, or a little peel you know we don't trust it so um so bizarre, isn't it? How how yeah. how we've evolved I, as a species. I still remember, yeah. Especially when you talk about peers. I remember when I I, I was in London. They were in British Museum. Had they or world collection, welcome collection. I couldn't remember, but they have all these peels and talk about that human being's life. That's how many peels you take in throughout your life. I was quite surprised. <sighs> yeah, 
yeah. I still remember that kind of like exhibition. That's how you, how we have been kind of designed to have all these chemical made the kind of medicine instead of like the way when we we're growing up, we didn't have so much like processed food. Uh, I grew up in rural areas, so my my grandma. So I I grew up with my maternal grandma, and uh, they have vegetable gardens. And they keep hens and ducks at the backyard, and that's how I was growing up. And I go to the city for school and for university. At first, I couldn't quickly blend in because it was so different. And I came here. It's again I, we have this culture shock. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Oh, this is just so fascinating. Yeah, and I remember growing up. It was I grew up in a very working class family. We we lived in a new town. Uh, which was built from scratch and you know it was very you know it looked modern I mean it's not modern by today's standards but you know at the time it was very modern it was built for the car and stuff like that but my my parents were still of this old attitude it's like go out you know rum around rummage around in the mud go fall over cut yourself get dirty all that kind of stuff you know that's how you build your immune system and all this kind of stuff yeah um so that's that's what it's like and my my uh my granddad on my dad's side who was from the east end of london used to um fast once a week mm-hmm. you know because it's like hey, you know this is a way of cleansing the body you know don't eat anything for 24 hours and you know water only and you know that kind of storage stuff and then yeah and then there you were saying about the pills you know looking at in the british museum yeah. like I would hate to see what mine is because on some days I would take, you know, uh, I mean, I'm going to be starting on some even more medication soon. But mm. at the moment, there are some days where I take like four pills. So, you know, I but think I understand. It's sometimes uh, as, as how the medicine, technology and science grows. That's yep. probably the way we keep people healthy. It's yep. just that uh, sometimes I think it's also good if we if there is a food supplement instead of like taking medicine, that might be a good way if if it helps mm. but i understand we definitely appreciate what scientists have done for totally our for ex- making our healthier and extending the life that's yeah. that's a great thing and yesterday yeah. we were having uh we so our faculty we did something called um pgr cohort meeting and we had one of the attendees had a long covid and i feel really sad because there have oh, been no. no kind of like treatment no these kind of pills so i wouldn't say I'm against or taking all the pills. I'm just saying, mm. like, sometimes, like, if there's more something can be the more nature healing can be come from the food, we can just yeah. pick up or collect. That would be a really nice thing, and that's yeah. some knowledge that I hope in the future they can be appreciated a bit more. Yeah, yeah, and I've 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 talked myself in my work and with many people in this podcast about you know how how it is our disconnect from nature, which is mm. which is what's driving. You know, we, we've had this, as you're right, because technology and, if, and health is medicine has really come on and it's what's really boosted life expectancy, you know, decreased infant mortality and mm. things like that. And that's been absolutely amazing. But but that's not sustainable. We can't keep living into 120s, 130s, into, two, you know, yes. this sci-fi fantasy that we're living to 200 years of age, things like that, because of our dis- disconnect to nature. You know, if we do want to mm. have this continually pro- progressive, not necessarily a long life, but a mm. healthy life. Yeah. I would rather live 80 healthy years than 120 where maybe 50 of them were healthy and the rest of them I was just getting by, you know. Mm. Um, and that's because of our disconnect to nature because, yeah. you know, nature, well, where do all these things come from? We're talking on a 
laptop on all these electronic silicon and I've got my desk and lights yeah. electronic. Well, the, what I always say to folks is, well, where did it come from originally? Before we processed it and manufactured it, where was, what was it before then? What was it before then? What was it before then? Where did that come from? Where did that come from? Um, and, then, and then it takes us a long, long while now to reconnect to, to nature. And um, you say, well, where do potatoes come from? The supermarket. No. Where do <laughs> potatoes come from? Okay, they come from the farm. Right. Okay. Now, what conditions do you need potatoes grow with? So naturally the potatoes wouldn't usually be grown in that place that you're getting them from, mm -hmm. but because of using artificial food. So we're so disconnected, but that's what's great about geography, the you know, yeah, subject that we're in. I was just about to say like, because geography actually brings the nature and the human side. And even sometimes we, I think now gradually also cover about the post-human side with the non-human bits or this all together into a way for us to understand the world more holistically. And uh, I think this is what geography actually can contribute because when you were talking about it, about potatoes, I recently saw a primary kid at their kind of balcony. They chopped, the, I think it's probably their project. They have to uh, chop the potato and let it grow in the water and then plant it. So this is probably some of their school project. But mm. this is kind of a way we can at least let people, let kids gradually know, oh, actually, this thing they're not growing uh, supermarkets. We can see how it grows, how it's like yeah. that. And I, two weeks ago, we went to plant a few flower seeds on campus. We have a garden called Garden of Time, and we plant flowers that's good for the pollinators, especially for the bees, so that we see how it grows. I think this is the kind of the thing that we can start doing and like planting flower seeds around the, the garden or anywhere <laughs> so yeah. that could be a this this kind of thing that small things we can do and yeah. uh, it could be quite interdisciplinary but also something related to geography because uh, we need to think about what about our climate what could be the best kind of like plants we can go and what's the season for growing it all these things i think it just uh, the nature and the culture for me they're never kind of like completely separate or go to two extremes yeah. you have to develop together and then like uh, I I would say it's kind of like they're always intertwined because we can't just take ourselves out of this yeah, yeah. we have to Party take ecosystem. our kind of agency human agency into the way to make this system work and try to interpret it and see if we can make a lot of changes towards a more sustainable future yeah uh, yeah yeah, and um, that's something that you you mentioned up here. You know about that's that's it's, it's your geography always allowing you to ask why all the time. You know, and you yeah. talked about you had the um, and I'm very jealous of this Hermione that you had the um, you were Professor David Lambert's assistant at one point. So for folks yeah. now, a lot of people listening will know who David Lambert is. I know who David Lambert is. Hi, David. Yeah. Hope you're listening. I uh, hope you're doing well. But but for folks who're not quite sure, so. Who's this David Lambert person and, and what was it like um, being his assistant? So uh, uh, David, before his retirement, he's now emeritus mm -hmm. professor. Before his retirement, he was a professor of geography education in Institute of Education, University of London, but now they are University College London. Yep. But at that time, uh, David used to be actually used to be the GA chief executive from 2000 to 2012 and then returned to IOE for 
full-time professor and retired on 2019. And from, tw I think, 1213, 12, 12, around that time, they developed an approach called the geocapabilities approach Geo to look at geography education. And that's also the time, 2013 is the time I started to do my master degrees back in China. And uh, my tutor at that time encouraged us to look around the world what is happening around the world, what is happening, other, what are other geography educators, researchers, scholars, what are they doing? So I was quite always quite interested in English. So I just uh, searched around English speaking world and know about, I thought, oh, geocapabilities, interesting. What do they mean? So I'm like, hmm. And my university at that time had that time, you can study abroad, like we call study overseas. They sponsor nice. you to go abroad to study for, uh, three months to half a year. So that's why I contacted David and at that time that he was really generous, gave me the invitation letter and invited me to be his research assistant. And if anyone interested, you can look at the geocapabilities org. Now the geocapabilities.org. I think I'll give you the link yeah, later. I think that's right, and yeah. Well, I ha actually have developed one of the, one of the curriculum making video case studies and that's how it came across with curriculum making and with david work on power, uh, powerful knowledge and uh, i think for me it was mainly with geography powerful knowledge and geography curriculum making at that time and i guess i guess almost every geography educator would know about david lambert's contribution so i don't want yeah. to talk too much about it people may know more than me because i only started to know david from 20 uh, 2015, that's the time I, I visited London. I'll send you the link, uh, especially with the, I think the one I was more involved in with the te teachers as curriculum leaders, Yeah. the geocapability phase two, two. Yeah. because now it's already at phase, phase three. I mm. guess they may have a phase four, focus on climate. So, let's see if I got this right. So phase ability. three is the social justice one. I yes, think. with Debbie Mitchell yeah. that's and right. Mary Bidoff, yeah. I think. Yeah, which is where, yeah, which is crazy. The fact that you, you know, David is very, very well known to the geography teacher community, mm -hmm. and as you know, and through you know, people who have been members of the geographical association or involved in the geographical association, obviously know David very, very well. Um, and hopefully, I'm not quite sure if he's going to be there next week, but some, you know, usually he he tries to be there. But uh, uh, yeah, but I I I did not know Hawaii that you were involved in uh, in helping out with the geo capabilities. Um, I mean, I but didn't do a really... lot of work. I was a master student. With... I couldn't still... do all these conceptual work at that time. I was also on a learning journey to understand what your capabilities, curriculum making and powerful knowledge, how they are connected. But I was quite lucky at that time, I think, um, because uh, if people know a bit about powerful knowledge, we know about Michael Young. And yes. when I first went to London, my flatmate was Michael Young's books translator. So oh. I was really lucky to get to know about it. I don't need to start from scratch because the translator could tell me actually in Chinese what it is about. And they actually wrote article in Chinese. So I kind of like, okay, now I got it, I understand. And then, so it was uh, quite lucky. I was quite lucky at that time and get to knew about this. And I developed it in a bit in Chinese to do it. And then I decided I want to do a PhD. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's how I came to London. Wow. But there was a long story. I don't want to go with that that highly. <laughs> and that's in the end, I came here. <laughs> oh, you know what? It's it just. But doesn't geography just open up 
so many opportunities though i mean you've i mean you some people look at you and say wow you were so lucky you were so fortunate other people look at it and say well no you know you're getting yourself with the love love of geography and the world and the traveling is what inspired you to do these things so then the mm. luck came to you did, did you have a lot of red envelopes by any chance yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so i think one of the thing at that time why i, I said my university kind of like a, in china could sponsor me to study abroad yeah but if I didn't have an IELTS score at that time, so it's for international students they, who are not growing up at, having English as their first language, you need to right. take the exam and you have a good score and you can communicate with them, then they will give you a chance. For me, because English was always my favorite subject at school, I actually applied to be an English major when I was in university but didn't get in. I, I put history too, didn't get in. I put geography, it's a third choice. <laughs> I got me in and I didn't want to leave. <laughs> so, uh, and, but I mean, the history and uh, English still becomes my hobby, something I'm yeah. always intrigued by. And that's how I have prepared myself, ready to take the kind of like the journey abroad. There are many people I'd say, they may be even better than me in Chinese with all this geographical knowledge and skills, but they can't express themselves that well like me in English. And maybe not as well as the native speakers, but much better than the people who can't speak English very well. So I always think myself could be use my luck and use my abilities to be a translator, to be a bridge, to help people from different two cultures. If they can't speak each other's language, I can do something. So I actually signed myself up to be an interpreter, the Chinese English interpreter when I was an undergraduate. And then I took the advanced certificate kind of like examination in my first year of my postgraduate in China. So I was quite prepared to do yeah. things related with different languages. That's yeah. why I think David gave me, gave me a chance to come over. And I still remember I already in, in the capabilities project and we were already on a kind of research, research seminar in Finland. And David said that, so when I first received the email, I thought you won't come. Because there probably have been a lot of people say they can come and there's a lot of things stopped you. And because I was very, like, I want to do it. I want to do it. Like yeah. this time when I had to do the RGS session, it's like, I want to do it. I want to do it. I keep finding ways to make it work. Yeah. And in yeah. the end, it worked. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's there's so many fantastic lessons in, in that, Hermione, you know. And the number one there is just, just, just don't give up. And if you don't, yeah. if you do not get your what your heart's desire, your first choice, maybe even your second choice, do not give up because the path yeah. that you might eventually go down could be something that really talks yeah. to your heart. And and you come across so, so passionate that, you know, you know, you could, you, I, I'm not a firm believer in fate, but you could, yeah. some people could say, well, it was obviously meant to be that it happened this way, yeah. but, you know. I, but I actually don't have a religious face of belief me neither. yet. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But I do think there's this kind of like, like in my PhD study, I talk a lot about human agency. I think yeah. there is a way that you can develop and even gradually improve your agency, become more agentic in the things you want to do instead of like waiting it to happen. You create yeah. conditions, you even yes. treat it, you be flexible to wait for it to happen or make it happen when the things are ready. But you need to be ready for it mm. that's why you educate yourself you prepare yourself for me it will be reading all the english articles and attending the tests which gives people a certificate to show that i can speak english well and yeah. um, for communication 
and all these things that I think that's how you prepare yourself if you want to go to a completely different way country or culture that you're growing up with yeah i i have this analogy that i use because i i i wrestle with myself with how much of it is privilege of position Mm. you know and other privileges how much of it is luck how much of it is connection all that kind of stuff so i have this analogy i'm like i'm thinking of and of course it would be a weather meteorological analogy being me being Mm. me so i say if you imagine a lake or an ocean or whatever it is and that pool every water molecule is like you and everybody else you're in competition with I don't like being in competition with people, I like being in collaboration. But anyway, um, and then the people who are at the surface are the people with the most amount of privilege, the people who are most in contact with everything else, with what the world, yeah. the atmosphere has got to offer them. And along comes a gust of wind and it will pick up those people at the top. But every now and then you can have some currents and some eddies, which mm-hmm. is your agency, that bit of luck, that that opportunity that comes your way that brings you to the surface and if at the right time that gust of wind comes along to evaporate you off that water you know Mm -hmm. you can happen so so that's my I use that analogy because I recognize that some people really have a dearth of privilege and a dearth of opportunity that they are Mm -hmm. nowhere near the surface of the water and no matter no matter how much churning and luck and agency Mm -hmm. is is they really will struggle to get to the surface but it can happen but with people like that need allies they yeah. need people who will lift them up towards the yes. surface. So that's what um, I actually going to say. I think if I couldn't make it if my tutor back in China didn't support me. Right. Yeah. And the, the university didn't support me. And at that time, if my mom and my auntie, so both from my maternal side, they didn't mm. support me financially, I would not able to do this. And I understand people may not get all these kind of financial support and or even with this kind of like uh, mental support or things yeah. like that. But just I in my study, I do talk about agency and social structure. I do realize the limit of human agency. So I'm not going to say that as long as you're agent, you can achieve it. But that is the only thing you get to hold in your hand. Right. Yeah. The structure cannot take from you. Yeah. I always say that because you can reflect over the structure. You can reflect over why I'm a disadvantage, why I have this privilege. But the structure won't think about you. The wind may blow over, but no matter you are a grass or you are the big tree, they just blow over. But you can think about this. And that's why I think human beings are powerful because we can Mm. think and we can reflect. Even better now, we have the language to communicate, understand. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Um, We're coming towards the end of our chat, which is a big shame, uh, but we've got two more things I want to do. First of all, I don't want to finish without talking about this. You mentioned about English. You know, you still have a love for English. And um, so to spill the beans, you say here that you you, uh, believe that unicorn exists. I love that. The Last (laughs) Unicorn is one of my favorite movies. Um, You also spend much time imagining the world without political borders. Everyone is treated as equals, but still different. And sometimes you write these thoughts. And one day you may you may publish Mm -hmm. some of your imaginary world. So so, I do like creative writing. I do like writing sometimes, like inspired by Virginia Woolf, a bit more with stream of consciousness. But that does not align very well with my PhD writing and distract me. From my PhD, which is a very structured academic writing. So I wouldn't do this now, but I still, sometimes if I have this, I just put it down. And hopefully that one day, like, I think no one questions why also choose their pen name. They can choose whatever pen name, whatever the gender or none, even not have a gender, just up to them. And one day mm-hmm. I may publish like in a new name. 
Ooh. Ooh. Do, do, are you, yeah. you going to keep letting me in on the secret though? I may keep your pen name. I will let you know. We've got to look out for that then. Right then, uh, Hermione. So one last thing then. Uh, we are all geographers is to link you back to our previous guest, which was mm-hmm. now three weeks ago because we did a, a, a Coffee and Geography short about the IPCC report a couple of weeks yep. ago. Yeah, I listened to uh, that. Yeah. And that, uh, so... Um, so Amel, who um, absolutely lovely person who works for the RSPB and does lots of amazing stuff. Uh, they are a fellow sci-fi geek like me. Um, and they were given the word Star Trek by the previous guest, uh, Anne-Marie Organ. Mm-hmm. And uh, Amel decided to stay with the Star Trek uh, to the sci-fi theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you you love fantasy and imagination stuff like that. So you might you might be okay. Yeah, you've got the you've got the Vulcan salute, live long and prosperity. Idic, infinite diversity and infinite combinations. Um, <laughs> Amel wants you to talk about now. It doesn't have to be, li- you know, literally. What do you know about this thing? Or mm-hmm. can you list characters? It's like even if, like, what can it mean to you? Like, or in geography, mm-hmm. but they want you to talk about Doctor Who for thirty seconds. Ha. Can Interesting. You do it? I watched <laughs> Doctor Who. <laughs> I even watched the last. I watched. But the season I watched was last season. So they probably have a new one now. I watched the recent one with the female doctor, right? Yeah, I watched that. Okay, in how is Doctor Who connected with geography? I remember there was one episode related with Vincent van Gogh and how they connected with the painting and with the with the story behind the drawing. And that's how I think reminds me of this travel. They traveling to different places, and in the end, how van Gogh drew this painting and it goes to the museum and how they interpreted it. I think that's what makes it connected with geography from different location, from different space and time, and even with the outer space. <laughs> so there you go. Just go to show you can link anything to geography, including sci-fi, and link sci-fi to geography. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, so uh, now it's time for you, Hermione, for you to come up with a word for our next guest to try and link mm-hmm. to geography. So what do you think you're going to go for? What should I go for? Should I go for easy one or <laughs> difficult one, though? <laughs> hmm. Why don't we connect with the term magic and see how they are going to connect? Yeah, with... we'll do magic. Right, magic it is for next week. Okay, Amani, so last thing then is uh, for you to give a shout-out to anyone you like and to let us know how people can find you on social media. I can't think of specific people but there are so many people I'm grateful and I don't know I I'm really grateful for David Mitchell and how the professionally and personally that she he has supported me through the difficult mm-hmm. journey and also uh, you can find me on Twitter at Hermione Miao which I put with my English name and my Chinese surname and yeah excellent Brilliant. Okay, well, Hermione, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, talking to you this evening. And I really can't wait to actually see you in person (laughs) next week at the Geographical Association Conference. It's going to be so great. Uh, But yeah, until then, um, thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you had fun. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe so more stories and experiences can drop into your favourite podcast app. If you fancy being a guest or have any feedback, follow us on Twitter at CoffeeJogPod and send us a DM. Or you could email coffeeandjog at geogramblings.com. Until next time, keep geogging.